This session is on AIDS and mission trips, uh, a case study in Ethiopia. Uh, my name is Andy Warren. Um, I already introduced my, my wife, Bev. We are missionaries with Mission to the World, um, the Presbyterian Church in America's mission agency. We've been with them since 1982. We first went to Africa and worked in Kenya starting in 1984. And since 1996, we've been working in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, um, working with SIM. And, and the way that kind of works is when we're here in the U.S., we're, we're mission to the world, and when we're in Ethiopia, we're, we're SIM. But we've enjoyed a, a really great partnership um, with these two agencies over the last 15 years. Um, Bev and I started this project, the AIDS Care and Treatment Project, in, in 2002 and have been um, leading and, and directing that project for the last nine years. Um, I'd like to start and, and give just a, a brief overview of, of our project and the, and the work that we do. We started in 2002 and we started out as a home-based care project. This was before antiretroviral drugs were available, and so most of what we did was palliative care, going into people's homes, um, helping their families learn how to take care of them, praying with them, sharing the gospel with them. But at that point in time, there weren't any um, antiretroviral drugs available to actually treat people. When drugs became available about seven years ago, we realized that our project was going to change directions, and we started focusing on adherence and helping our beneficiaries take their drugs properly, understand how they worked, and, and be adherent so that they could stay on first-line drugs as long as possible. Um, one of the other things about our project is we work with whole families. We don't work with just the individual that's HIV positive. We care for everyone who's living in the household. One of the other big parts of our, our project has been medical teams. And we started having short-term medical teams come and work with us very shortly after the project started. I, I think our first team was within the, the first year or year and a half of the time that we started. And we do about eight to ten short-term medical teams every year. Our vision from the beginning was to reduce the impact and spread of HIV-AIDS by caring for the least of these. So the people that we worked with in Addis Ababa, we worked in three slum communities, and we targeted the very poorest people um, in the communities that we worked in. When we started out, we didn't really know what that population would look like, but we, we discovered fairly quickly that it was predominantly women, and it was predominantly women with children. And we do this by working to bring reconciliation between our beneficiaries and God, themselves, others, and creation. This isn't anything new and original with us, but it has shaped the way we think about what we do, that, that we are working in these communities and with these families to, to bring them into a right relationship with God, to improve their, their view of themselves, to improve their relationships within their families and their communities, and then they're bringing reconciliation with creation, dealing with the physical needs that they have, particularly HIV. 
Um, we had some other values and, and philosophy that, that really shaped how we worked and, and what we did. One of the things that we've always kept in front of us is that all of the people that we work with are made in God's image. And that means that they are valuable to God, and it means that we have to do our very best to care for them, that, that we are going to do all that we can do given the limited resources that are available. We also focus on grace and recognizing that, that we've experienced God's grace and that we have to extend that same grace to the, the people that we're, that we're serving. The other big value in our project has been that we are what we call seekers and not planners. Has anybody read um, William Easterly's book, White Man's Burden? Anybody out there? I got one. Um, uh, Easterly talks about um, different approaches to, to working with the poor. And, and one of the things that he says is that a lot of times in the past, people have been planners. They come in with a plan and they implement it. They have the big plan that, that they're going to um, bring to this community or bring to these people and, and make this plan happen. And he says that's largely failed. And what we need to, to be are seekers, identifying problems and then seeking solutions to those problems. And that's been one of the core values in our project, that we identify issues and then we look for creative ways to address those issues. And, and the way that works out practically is that we don't have a one-size-fits-all set of benefits or one-size-fits-all way of, of caring for people. We adapt it to every single family and individual that we work with. And so some people get more and some people get less. Some people get um, one thing and, and, and another person will get something different. And it also means that we're constantly changing. We have a value that says we are going to adapt to the circumstances as, as they change. And one of the biggest was when we went from being primarily a home-based care provider to being a, a treatment support project. We saw that coming at us. We knew that that was going to happen and realized that if we continued to be a home-based care project, we were very soon going to be irrelevant, that we weren't going to be doing the best that we could for the, the beneficiaries in our project. So we made a, a, a radical change from largely um, going into people's homes and, and caring for the dying, doing palliative care, to, to working with families, to getting people on treatment, to helping them take their drugs correctly, and, and then helping them think about living, helping them think about raising their children, helping them think about becoming self-supporting again. So that's been a, a, a very large value of, of our project. And some of the impact and results. We've worked with over 700 families over the last nine years. Our mortality when we started um, before antiretrovirals was about 33% a year, so about a third of our beneficiaries would die every year, and it has dropped now to, to well below 3%. We haven't had anybody die of, of an, an AIDS-related illness, of, of, of AIDS, really since um, antiretrovirals were available. Our, most of our people will die from cancer, from breast cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, or TB, um, and usually undetected TB. Um, so we've, we've seen amazing things happen just in terms of um, people living longer. 
We've also focused on, on getting our beneficiaries to be self-supporting. Um, when we start with people, they're generally sick and in the bed, unable to work, unable to do anything. And in this year, our graduation rate has gotten up to 34%. And that means that these are people who were, had full-blown AIDS and now are completely self-supporting. They have some work income. Someone in the family um, is earning enough money to, to support the family. And, and we expect to see that go up to, to close to 70% over the next 12 to 18 months. One of the other things that we did was when we started making that transition from being a home-based care project to being a, a treatment support project, we started working with the World Health Organization and trying to figure out how to help people take their drugs and be adherent. And, and we came up with a, a few creative things. We started giving people pill boxes and, and helping them count their drugs. Most of our beneficiaries are illiterate. They can't read the, the directions. Um, so we gave them pill boxes, helped them sort their medicines. This was also when there were a few combination drugs available, so there was a, a much heavier pill load. Um, we started using digital alarm watches. I used to go around when I'd come to the States, and I'd go to every Walmart and Target and buy up every Timex Expedition watch that, that they had until the credit card company would, would stop my credit card. Um, and we would give people watches and set their alarms for them to remind them when to, to take their drugs. And, and our beneficiaries were doing so much better on their treatment that where they got their drugs was from the government hospital. That the, the hospital realized that there was a group of patients that were healthier, understood their medications, were more adherent. And they came to us and asked us to help them uh, set up their adherence program. And we ended up... Um, actually writing the adherence protocol for the Ethiopian government. We, we got a grant from USAID, and we ran adherence for Black Lion Hospital, which is the main teaching and referral hospital for the country, and for 13 of the main government health centers, the high-volume health centers in Addis Ababa. And we put counselors, we put treatment counselors and peer counselors, and we also helped with electronic patient records. And we did that for, for three years and averaged about 15,000 patients a year that, that we counseled and, and helped with treatment. And then last year we transitioned out of that and, and turned it over um, to the government. Like I said for, um, early on, we've done a lot of medical teams. From the very start of the project, we're still doing about eight to ten medical teams. And, and people, the people that come on teams often ask us, are they worth it? People will come and they'll have spent between three and four thousand dollars to come and be part of a team with us. And they often ask us, would it have been better if we had just given you the money instead of coming here? Was it worth it for us to come? And our answer to that has, has always been yes, that the teams have been very important for us as a, as a project. When, when we got started, I, I need to make one confession. Um, I have no medical background at all. I have a Boy Scout merit badge in first aid, um, but that's the absolute extent of my, my medical training, and Bev is not medical. So when we started this project, we, I, I knew something about AIDS education. I had been involved in that, but I didn't know anything about caring for people that were HIV positive or people that were dying with AIDS. And it was medical teams, short-term medical teams, that brought that expertise to us. 
that created the connections that we needed to really learn how to care for these people that, that we felt called to serve. Um, and, and I could give you lots of examples of that. Um, one of the things that uh, we had a, a team come out and we had a, a, an ID doctor and, and he, he asked the question, you know, are you putting people on Bactrim? And, and we, didn't, we didn't know that. So we, um, he helped us um, figure out how to do that. We, we, we started getting our beneficiaries on, on Bactrim. We saw a huge improvement um, in a number of our beneficiaries. Someone else came and said, you know, you have all these children. We had about 1,300 children that were part of our project and, and said, you know, it would be a really good thing to, to deworm these kids twice a year. And we started doing that and saw a huge difference in, in, the, in the children in our project. And I could go on and on and on. There's, there were just so many things that teams brought to us and improved what we were doing and educated us as, as a project. Um, it, it, w- it would be hard to exaggerate the, the impact that, that short-term teams have had. The other impact that short-term teams have had for us has been spiritual. Um, one of the great things about working in Ethiopia is we're not limited. Um, we're not undercover. We don't have to hide who we are. Um, we, we're known as SIM. SIM has been in Ethiopia for almost 100 years, and everybody knows who they are. And, and we have complete freedom to share the gospel, to talk with people about spiritual things and pray. And, and we've always made that a part of what we do. When we did home visits, one of the, the key things that we did was always spend time praying with people, talking about um, what they were afraid of, um, what was happening in their lives, and then praying for them. But as, as our project went along, one of the things that we discovered was that the, the people, our beneficiaries, the people in the community, they, they started sort of filtering out um, that part of what we were doing with them. They would still let us pray with them. They would still listen to us some. But what we found was is that when medical teams came, and especially when physicians spent time with people and actually would put their hands on people, would, would actually touch people when they examined them, which doesn't normally happen with Ethiopian physicians, that it had a real impact on people, that it it opened them up in a way that, that they didn't open up with us. And that, and, I, and one of the other things is, is people are often much more sophisticated than we give them credit for. Our beneficiaries knew that the people coming on these teams had taken time out from their lives, had spent a lot of money to be there, and were making real sacrifices to come to them. And that opened them up to, to, for them to listen to the gospel and respond. And so our medical teams have always had a, a big spiritual impact um, on our project, on our beneficiaries. So some things about um, how we've tried to make um, effective short-term medical teams. We've been to a couple of other sessions and heard about it from this side, if you're planning a team from this side. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about from, from the field perspective, how do you have an effective short-term medical team? The first thing is you, you have to know what you want to accomplish. You, you have to have some idea of what it is that you want that team to do for you as a project. Um, I think a, a lot of times um, 
a team will come or they'll come to a project like ours and they say, we want to do a medical team. And, and, and the people on the field never really think through what it is they want to have happen with that team. You know, sometimes it's just providing quality care. When we started our project, that was what we wanted. We wanted to get quality medical care for our beneficiaries, that group of people that, that we worked with. Another thing that, that we're very conscious about is using medical teams to educate us as a project, um, to improve our project, to tap into the knowledge that people on those teams bring. So we set up opportunities for that. One of the things that we'll do is when we have people with a particular expertise, we'll have them do training for our staff. We have one doctor who's come a number of times, who works with us. He's an HIV doc from Yale. And, and he's one of the best educators that I've ever met. He, he can explain HIV and, and how it works better than anyone I've met. And he's been huge in, in educating us in our project. We also take advantage and, and partner with Black Lion, and we'll set up um, opportunities for people coming on teams to teach to the, the, the faculty, the, the residents, and the students at, at Black Lion. So we, we do our best to take advantage of, of the people that come. I've already talked about spiritual impact. We want to make sure that, that when teams come, they have the opportunity to have a spiritual impact. It's not strictly medical. And we, we build that into how we set up our teams, how we schedule things, and, and how we recruit people. We, we're not looking just for doctors, nurses, um, PAs, NPs, physical therapists. We love having pastors, counselors, people with skills in evangelism come and be part of teams. They're a critical part of what happens, and we set up our clinics so that we can take advantage of that. One of the other things that we use teams for is to build uh, local relationships. I'm not keeping up with my – oh, yeah, I am. Um, we build local relationships. We partner with other churches. We look for other churches in Addis, in the communities where we work, and we have used our teams to build relationships with them. We'll go to a church and we'll say, we've got a medical team coming. We'd like to help you in your community. Um, would you like to work with us? And then we use those teams to educate those partners that we're working with. We also do it with the local government that we work with. We'll, we'll do clinics in the community. And, and when we have medical teams and we run clinics, it really builds strong relationships with the local government and with our communities. Another thing that we, we have used teams for, and this is a little more mercenary, but it's a way to raise money. We, people that come out and work with us, they've already made an investment in our project, and we encourage them to, to continue that, sponsoring a family, sponsoring one of our kids, giving to the project. And, and we also use it to build relationships with, with churches here in the U.S. That, that can help us financially and in other ways. We've also used teams to encourage our staff. We, we have a team from Dallas that comes out, and they plan programs, activities, just for our staff to encourage them to say thank you to the staff and, and, and just be there to encourage them. And then, like I mentioned, it, it helps us develop um, our partnerships with U.S. churches and with donors in the states. The, the next thing with 
um, with teams is always being ready to change. The way we do teams now is very different from the way that we, we, did, we did teams when we started out. When we started out, our teams focused only on our beneficiaries. And they, they came and they, they saw them, they treated them. Their focus was, was only on the project. And it was also different because at that point in time, those people were much sicker. The medical teams were seeing really sick people. They were also doing much more in, in people's homes. A lot of our people were too sick to get up and, and come into the office or come to a, a place where we were having a clinic. So our, our teams early on looked very different. Now we do very few medical teams with our project beneficiaries. They're all healthy. They're working. You can't get them to come. If you go to do a home visit, they're not there. Um, they're out working. Um, so we've had to shift and change. So you always have to be aware of, of what's going on and be ready to change how, how you do things. And then the, the last thing with this is, is to make good use of your team member's skills. We always want to know up front, <clears throat> before, long before teams come, who is coming and what their skills are. Not just their medical skills, but other skills that, that people on the team might have. We have a lot of support groups. Um, we organize all our beneficiaries into small groups. And we often have team members come and they'll do Bible studies with them. They'll do small um, business skills training. We've done all sorts of things. But we try and, and make sure that we have worthwhile things to do for everyone who comes on a team and, and plug them in. So practically, how do we do it? One of, one of the... Um, the first things is that we, we really want to be prepared, and I talked about that in, in terms of knowing what people's skills are. One of the things that I'd like to mention is most of our, our teams come out through Mission to the World. MTW has a medical uh, missions department. There's a woman named Cheryl Erb who, who runs that, and, and most of our teams will, will come out through them, and she does a lot of, of work getting paperwork together for medical credentials, helping with flights, um, insurance, all, all sorts of different things. And so she's been um, really important to us. Um, <clears throat> other preparation, we try and <clears throat> make sure that, that teams are ready to come. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, we have a website, um, our project website, that has a, a whole section on what you need to know um, before you come, um, things like visas, immunizations, what you can expect to happen, what the weather's going to be like, you know, dress, all sorts of things. We try and get a lot of information out there for the teams before they come. One of the other things that's important for all of our teams is that we have a good team leader. If, if you don't have a good team leader, things just do not run smoothly. So we, we try and make sure that every single team that's coming has, you know, a, a person who's responsible, a real leader that, that can lead the team. I'll, I'll put in a plug, another plug for MTW. They have a, a program, I think it's a three-day training called Advanced Medical Leadership Training, 
that's really designed to prepare um, leaders for short-term medical teams. And most of the people who lead teams with us have, have gone through that, and it makes a, a huge difference. One of the other things that we've been very careful about from the beginning in our project is that we're legal, that we follow all the laws of, of Ethiopia. We do not try and get around that. It's a major headache to, to get medical credentials for people. It, it requires a lot of paperwork. But we make sure that everyone is credentialed. We make sure that we follow the law so that we, we don't run into any problems with that. We do that not just with medical credentials. We also do it with drugs. Ethiopia is very strict about bringing in out-of-date drugs. We, we do not let teams come. You know, we understand that the drugs are still fine, but um, I don't like jail, and I'd like to keep my project going a little longer. So we are very careful about things like that. One of the other things we do is when teams arrive, we, we do an orientation. And this orientation covers things like our project's history, our philosophy, you know, give people an idea of, of, of what the project is. We'll um, do practical things. You know, one of the things we say is don't touch the animals. You know, don't touch the dogs and cats in the community. We have rabies. Um, we're up really high. We're at 8,000 feet. Drink your water. Get a water bottle. Put your sunscreen on. Um, lots of things like that that we'll cover at the very beginning. We also have a, a, a nurse practitioner who um, really runs the medical side of our, our project. Her name's Linda Swallow. And Linda will do an orientation with the teams on what kind of things they can expect to see, um, what drugs we have available, what labs we, we have available, and, and she'll give them a, a really good orientation on, on what they can expect to see and what they, they can do in a clinic. The other thing that we do is when, when we run clinics, we don't just throw the door open and, and let anybody come in. We schedule appointments. And we'll, we'll determine how many patients we think we can see based on the number of providers, um, physicians, um, nurse practitioners, PAs. And, and then we give out appointment cards. We have printed cards. And, and the reason that we do this is because we want to have um, our, our providers have enough time to really spend time with everybody who comes in. Um, we want them to, to not just be able to do a history and physical. We want them and, and treat whatever you know, primary complaint they have. We want them to, to have at least some time to talk to people and, and maybe pray with them, maybe share the gospel, or at least get some idea of what's going on and then ask if they would like to see a pastor or a counselor talk to somebody else. So we, we also don't want people standing around. So we've done it enough that We'll have problems occasionally, but we do a pretty good job of, of making sure that there are enough patients that need to be seen, but not so many that, that everyone's overwhelmed and just running, running, running like crazy. The other thing that, that we do well, I think we do well, that's been important for us running um, short-term teams has been the logistical side of it. And, and that's our housing, our transportation, our meals, and, and things like that. 
We have our own guest house. Um, we can um, manage ourselves. We have our own cook so that we have fewer problems with people getting sick from things they've eaten. We have a, a very good local company that does all our transportation. So we've worked hard to make those logistical things run smoothly so that we're, we're not wasting time. We're not getting people sick. We don't have half the team in bed with an IV um, and, and not being productive. So logistics has been really important for us. We, we try and manage our finances well so that, uh, that teams have the resources that they need for the work that they're going to do. They have money for the test and, and, and medicines that they prescribe. We, we try and, and manage it so that it's, it's not um, too expensive and we control our cost. Then the other thing that we try and do is, is follow up that we want to finish well when we get to the end with the team. We, we try, if, if they've seen patients that need to come back, we set aside a day at, at the end of the team so that people can come back and, and get whatever follow-up. If, if they need ongoing care, we try and organize that, either with the local government health center or clinic. We try and make sure that people don't just fall through the cracks. We also are, are very deliberate with our teams in, in saying, you've been here, you've, you've been here for two weeks, you've worked with us, you've seen what we do. Um, would you like to be involved in an ongoing way? Come back again, give to the project, tell other people about it, recruit other doctors to come. So we try and establish a, an ongoing relationship. And then we, we bribe them a little bit. We, we always give them a, a, a thank you card and a small gift something to remind them uh, about their time. So how do we run a clinic? Well, how, how do we run a team? I'll tell you a little bit more about it. One of the other things we do is when people come, we orient them. And nearly always on the very first day, we don't start doing clinic. We start with home visits. We break everybody up into to small groups of three or four people. We um, match them up with one of our staff, our Ethiopian staff, and we send them out in the community, where we, in one of the communities where we work, and they do home visits. This is not to provide medical care. It sometimes happens. It's not even primarily to do evangelism. It's really so that people coming on, on the teams can build some connection with the people that are there. They, they can see where they live. They get an idea of the conditions that people live in. Most of our beneficiaries live in a space that's about the size of your average SUV. So it's very cramped. They'll squeeze them all in there. But they get to talk with people. They get to um, see people, you know, in their own homes, find out their stories, talk with them about their families. And, and we have found that this has really been critical in, in, in the way we run teams. And they see people more as real people and not just as, as um, patients coming in. Um, like I said, we do appointments, we, we give out cards, we, we manage the number of, of patients that are coming in. The other thing that we do is, is we make sure that we have good translators. We have, a, along with our staff, who all speak English, we have um, gotten a group of translators. They're nearly all nurses, I think, that, that work in other places, but um, come and work with us when we do uh, medical teams. And, and they have a, a high level of English, and they also know the medical system in Ethiopia. They're really good at working with the doctors and saying, 
um, you can't get that test here, or that drug is not available, or this is what this person is actually saying when they tell you this. They are really good. They're, they are not just, you know, translating from English into Amharic and Amharic to English. They are a, a huge asset to, to the team. We also have figured out how to do the physical setup, how to, how to have a, a one room for privacy, how to have a space for a lab, how to set up our t- tables, how to do triage in one place, how to manage patient flow. So we've, we've gotten really good at that. So like if we work with a church, when we go in, before the team even comes, we'll go to them and say, okay, here's, here's the space that you have. This is how we want you to set it up so that when the team gets there, we're usually not running around trying to move tables and find a space for this and, you know, get this person here. We're, we already know how to do it. Um, I also mentioned before that we, we always try and have counselors, either people on the team, our staff, or people from one of our partner churches to, to talk with people. We sometimes have our own um, labs set up, but we also use the local labs. We have forms for that. We talk the, the providers through how to use them, how to fill them out, what tests are available. And we have a whole system for getting tests um, for lab work um, done. We'll, we have our own pharmacy. We have our own system for that. We um, are, are pretty efficient at, at running a, a pharmacy. And, and then I mentioned before uh, patient follow-up. We really do our best not to just um, do one-off clinics where you see a person one time, um, hand them some vi- multivitamins and, and pray for them and send them out. We really try and make sure that people are going to get the care and follow-up that they, they need. So what are some of the challenges for the, the future that we see? Our biggest challenge over the last couple of years has been getting enough providers, getting enough uh, doctors and, and PAs and NPs to come and work with us. I think a lot of that's just changes in medicine here in the United States, but um, we're finding it much more difficult to, to recruit the number of providers that, that we would really like to have. Other challenges are just the constant changing environment, legal environment in Ethiopia, and trying to stay on top of that and we recently had a change where Ethiopia decided that nurses had to have a year's experience before they could be credentialed. We're, we're always having to um, figure out um, how to deal with new challenges like that. Um, I want to um, leave a little bit of time for questions. If, if you want to find out a little bit more about us, this is our website. I also have a little bit of information up here on the table. I've got a card that's got our... Uh, contact information on it. I've got a, a DVD about our project that's um, really well done. You feel free to take one of those and then just a card with some um, statistics on, on our project. Do you have any questions? Bill? Andy, Bob? You said that rather than work with just the patient, you work with the whole family. How did what kind of work do you do when you say you work with the whole family, and how does that affect their adherence to the protocol of taking the medication? Um, one of the big things we do is we work with the children in, in, in the families. We have after-school programs. We pay school fees, buy uniforms, provide shoes and school supplies. We work really – it's a requirement in our project that if you're going to be a beneficiary of the project, that your children be in school. If we find out your kids aren't in school, 
you get a visit and a warning, and if they don't get back in school pretty quick, you're out. And that has really paid off for us in um, transforming families. This last year, we had seven of our kids that finished high school that passed their exams for university and, and got places in Addis Ababa University. That doesn't sound like a big deal here, getting into college here isn't a big deal. There, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's a guarantee that those families are out of poverty. When those kids finish school, they've got jobs. And, and that's a huge percentage of our kids that, that are you know, not just finishing grade 12, but are getting university places. And, and so that's, that's transforming a family for generations. And, and then when you have the whole family involved in, in the project, they all feel connected. And it gives us a chance to, um, to speak to that whole family, to often to bring reconciliation in the family. And there's just a, a, a lot of benefits from, from that. Do you work with the marriages too? We do a lot of counseling. Um, we've got a young woman coming out who's a counselor to, to work with us. We do regular teams. We, we partner with Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, and they send out a team every January um, that they do primarily counseling. Um, yeah, we do a lot of, of work in that area, a lot of family counseling. Yeah. Um, we, we do with the nurses. We haven't with physicians, basically because they're just not there. Um, there's just such a critical shortage of, of, of doctors. We have a huge brain drain. Uh, almost half of the people that finish medical school in Addis leave as soon as they graduate. The, the ones that stay, they may be assigned to work in a government hospital or a clinic. They'll show up in the morning, they'll do rounds, and then they disappear to their own private clinic. Um, because that's how they make a living. They don't get paid enough um, in the government system. So it would be nice, but, yeah, they're just not, not available. Yeah, the way we, we normally do that is um, when we do clinics for our beneficiaries, people in our project, any tests, any medicines, any cost for them, we cover as a project. It's part of our budget. But when we do um, clinics with other groups for the community or for churches, the, the teams really have to raise the money to cover all of those costs. And that has to do with our government agreements, our own budgets, what we, we, you know, we actually have available. So we build that into a team's budget. And, and like I said, since we give appointments, we've got a pretty good idea of, of what our costs actually are. Do you have a question? Um, we pay everybody. We don't do volunteers much. We, people in Ethiopia, they, they are scratching to make a living. It's, trying to run things with volunteers is just, it's impossible. Sure. So, did I? Do they, um, 
when their teams come, do they bring the medications with them a lot of times in the suitcases? They do. We're doing less of that. We're buying more locally. There are certain things we can't get. That's one of the things that Linda will do. Um, she'll make a list. She'll tell a team this is what we need. She'll often order it and have it sent for the team. Um, you, you never know what's going to happen in customs, but um, we've, we've been very successful, been very blessed in, in getting stuff in. So, yeah, that's been a, a, one of those other things that's changed as we've gone along. We, we bring in less than we, we did at the beginning. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah, all the ARVs are free through the government. It's either paid for by PEPFAR, the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or by Global Fund. And in Ethiopia, that's been really good. We have had very good drug supply, no interruptions, a good variety of drugs. It's been, it's been tremendous. Yeah. You mentioned that TB is a big problem, and I saw that when I was Yeah, we, we have started a TB project. We got a, a grant, and um, we upgraded the, the TB lab at Black Lion Hospital. We put in fluorescent microscopy and um, um, specimen concentration. We've started a, um, an active case finding uh, project in our community. We're going out and surveying and getting um, um, people to tell us about neighbors and friends that are, that are symptomatic. And, and we've got a really, it's a, it's a really neat project. The TB project is, is, is one of the really fun new things that, that we're doing now. I, I just got an email from Linda Swallow this morning. We've done about 300 surveys um, in the community. We've been partnering with the government. I think we've gotten 20 um, uh, positives that we've gotten on treatment. So that, that's, a, that's sort of our second big area of interest after, after HIV because, you know, there's a, um, a lot of co-infection there. When you said that if a person didn't continue, like with their children, to go to school, that sort of thing, that they're dropped from your program, mm -hmm. would their ARVs be dropped? No. No, all the ARVs come through the government. We, we only help with adherence and with other things, rent support and food and you know, lots of things like that. All the treatment is free through the government health, health system. So, um, and, and we, when I say we drop people, we do drop people, but um, that happened some at the beginning, but it almost never happens now because when new people come in, the people that have been in the project, um, we put them in groups together and the, the veterans tell the new people, this is the best thing that you're ever going to get. If you do this or you do this or you do this, they're going to kick you out. So don't do it. And so we, we have, more than any other project I've ever seen, we, get, we have really smooth relationships and good relationships with the government, too. They, the government really backs us up. A few times when we've had problem beneficiaries, they'll come and say, well, we're going to go tell the government on you, and we're like, have at it, you know, go, because the, the government will tell you exactly what we did. What kind of work. what kind of work people are finding in the project? Yeah, it, it really varies. A lot of it is baking bread, making injera, the staple bread that's there, selling vegetables. We've had a group of men who started sort of a messenger service, a bill-paying service. Um, you know, there's some of the craft things, making jewelry or making dolls. Um, 
But a lot of it is, a lot of what we have done is try and give people skills. How do you keep a simple set of books? Um, you know, what's your market? You know, those really basic business skills, and then encourage them to, to find businesses and, and then try and support them. We're doing some things like um, health insurance. So if you have a business that if you get sick, you can draw on that insurance and, and, until you get well, or you can pay somebody to keep doing your business. So we're always looking for really creative kind of ways to help people. We had a lot of people that had small businesses. They weren't big enough to support the family, but we felt like they could grow. And so we got them together and said, you know, why aren't you doing more? Why don't you make this bigger? And, and the thing that we kept hearing was, well, I'm going to get sick, and then what's going to happen? And if I put money into it, then I'll lose it. And so we came up with the insurance thing, and we just really saw a great response to that. And, and then a lot of people went from, you know, earning a little bit of money to actually earning enough to support themselves. And I am past time, so thank you very much.